May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Humanity is ever in this struggle and this pursuit for freedom. If we see what happened uh, in the last few days in America with the change in the verdict of the uh, Roe and Wade case that now restricts abortion in America, there's been a political response, um, an outcry from the public, and various opinions around the world. And it is truly what we perceive, at least on the surface level by the media, what how they reported, quite a political issue. But one thing that's certainly the case is that it goes much deeper than that. It goes into the very uh, pastoral nature of how people deal with it psychologically and the sense of the pursuit of freedom. And for us as the church, we have to um, deal with it in a way that is ethical, that uh, speaks into, that speaks about, that reflects um, our, our beliefs, um, and how do we truly uh, ex- contribute to the extension, to the, uh, the deferring of people's liberation in the most holistic sense? And that's not an easy question to answer. And if one is developing a theology of politics, it should encompasses encompass various aspects on uh, how society functions and what is the belief structures um, from which we construct um, ethical decisions and how do we get to those. But how these things work is that they, they happen in contexts much broader than just what we perceive as a political issue. Um, for, for society, we always found ourselves in this seemingly indebtedness to a certain uh, paradigm. We are, uh, what Paul says, indebted to the law. If you look at the context of his audience that he's writing to in the letter to the Galatians, it is about this whole concept about how people have fallen into this, this entrapment of the law and how they've internalized it uh, in terms of their own psychology. It wasn't just a matter of the legal aspects of the law of Moses and how and what one should uh, uh, do and ceremonially um, comply with. It was much deeper than that, and that's what Paul is saying is that you have become, sometimes he says, slaves, but ultimately indebted to the holistic, uh, in, uh, holistic approach and holistic extent of the law on people's lives. To, the, to, to, to how we um, think about, we are indebted to social and cultural structures. We have cultural debts to pay. We have kinship ties. We're indebted uh, to our families. It is very rarely that one can just walk away from your family um, and 
and say I am completely independent. Um, despite that we're living in a you know, completely democratic world <laughs> or society for most part in the West, we are indebted to certain traditions. We're perhaps even indebted to the religions, the religion that we practice. And so we're not as in independent as much as we would like. But chiefly so because of the extent that we've internalized it. And so we, we have internal, we have subconscious loyalties to certain things that we just simply cannot step away from. I, uh, when I did confirmation classes um, a few weeks ago at Rodin, I, my first question I asked the girls were, can you do a religious audit of your lives? It's not simply good enough to say that you are Christian. You have to know why. Uh, why are you a Christian as opposed to a Buddhist or a Muslim um, or a non-believer? And if you can almost deconstruct, order to what, to, uh, give, a, give an answer to why you are uh, and what you are, then that in itself is so much more liberating than just following a, along the path of least resistance in society, or what your parents in, that, in their case say, or what uh, the school expects of them. And it's much better to reconstruct your belief systems from a point of liberty than simply following uh, norms. Society has developed to the extent within globalization that we are indebted to social expectations. Um, perhaps it is a conspicuous phenomena of capitalism that how people are, the extent to how people are working affects family, family lives. Um, for in the, the new Labour government in England, under the guidance of Tony Blair, the leadership, his leadership, there was a very deliberate attempt to empower women and that was regarded as feminism, but ultimately it was about improving the economy. It was getting more people into the economy so that taxes can come down, uh, because that was the deficit they faced at the time. And so you see how these things inter are interlocked in terms of political emancipation and the ultimate pursuit of economic growth for a party that wants to sustain its own power. And so what happens, of course, is that within this global system is that um, family structures alter. Um, there's a redefinition of family roles. Um, and some of it is not necessarily bad, but how does one negotiate this in the long run? And this, of course, has no simple effect. It always has a knock-on uh, consequences to how life is then managed and what is the extent of children's upbringing and, and what is what eventually, how it will unfold in one or two generations down the line. The result, I think, is that as people are becoming so uh, internalized in this global economy that they have to prove themselves ever more, they become zombies. <laughs> and I say this as an exaggeration because people for, uh, follow, uh, fall, fall victim to this idea of a culture that they don't know the origins from, of. 
And as they, they don't know this, they become indebted to the system. That they have to comply and fulfill the expectations that society places on them. Whether it's self-image, levels of education, um, how much you should earn, uh, where you should live, how you should look, that sort of thing. And, and of course, all of these, again, have certain cultural knock-on effects, whether it's patriarchy or uh, issues on abortion or whatever it may be. And as I say, these are complex issues that cannot just be perceived in isolation. But ultimately, it's also about the question of spirituality. Because when one thinks about spirituality, it's about a developing a, a deeper consciousness, deep reflexivity about how does one become conscious of how much freedom do I exercise in my decisions? How much awareness do I have about myself? And how can I be more creative? The result, of course, is that there's a whole generation, chiefly from generation Y and upwards, and perhaps even now, as we look to generation A, who will be known as the COVID generation, is that there's a great deal of self-loathing among these young people. And this has huge effects on how they want to find uh, liberty in the world and develop a consciousness of political and social issues as they face real felt anxiety in this world. And this sense of self-loathing um, becomes the very issue that we need to address ultimately in ourselves. And this is what Paul is saying, is that how much freedom do you have? Because as you pursue um, a certain life that is sort of societally constructed, um, often it sort of just dissolves into a chaotic, a chaotic uh, way of living. Because of the level of self-loathing, we just, we just give ourselves over into sensual living. Uh, and he says, this is, this, all of this sort of sensual living is contrasted by the virtues of right living that actually speaks about uh, what true freedom is. He says, these are the fruits of the Spirit, and against such things there is no law. When you live according to this, to this world, to this, to this to set of values, and you've internalized it, you've come to a point of a deeper level of consciousness where you experience such internal freedom that you choose to live in a certain way as opposed to this, this, this chaotic life. And that emancipatory living speaks of you've become aware, become aware of your own identity. And in a world where identity politics is so crucial, how as a church do we help people to come to a sense of identity awareness? As opposed to just living chaotically. And the worst part, of course, is that this chaotic, sensual lifestyle has become part of the economy. And there are people who are making a living out of chaotic habits, and addictions. And how do we counter that? For most part, I think it's about what we see the reflexivity in Jesus and Elijah or in Elisha when it's when they pursue a sense of identity at all cost. Jesus is putting his face like flint towards Jerusalem. 
And he says, this is the cost of the pursuit of freedom, of my own identity, of what I mean to fulfill, my purpose, my calling. The same with Elisha. It's like, Elisha, I won't leave you. I won't be deterred. And at the end, Elisha tears his clothes and he takes up this new identity because there's no return. No return of the same person. And this is what Paul is saying is that the dead person, the old person is dead. You have crucified that person with Christ. Because in Christ, ultimately, what it shows about the, the, the act of the crucifixion is that it, under, uh, it, it sort of goes against this norm of a transactional global economy. It is in the sense that Christ loved us first before we loved him. And how emancipatory is that? To be extended mercy. And that changes the whole transaction within this economy. And that Jesus is not part of this indebtedness. And that's something that we would want to experience this in the same way. That Christ is this identity that we pursue. His life. And so when we pursue that identity in Christ, that we want to be like Christ, that we want to be as free as Christ, is that we then become truly saved. But here's the thing, is that we don't, we're not just saved from death. We're not just saved to avoid hell. We are saved for life. We are saved to bring life into this world now. It's a big change in how we perceive salvation. And that is the, the ultimate application of the life of the church, of changing the world. And it's, it's really about this pursuit. And it can be quite, require quite some effort and discipline, but it's a personal pursuit. It's a psychological pursuit, but ultimately it's a spiritual pursuit of how much freedom do you long for as you become aware of the levels of your consciousness of how much indebted you have become to um, perceptions about yourself and perceptions of others of you and your perceptions of others and ultimately how you can become a much more fulfilled, freer person in a bigger scheme of things. Amen. Amen.